Well, good morning, good morning. My name, like I said, is Daniel. Uh, me and my wife, Katie, get the honor of being the young adult and youth uh, pastors here at Horizon Church. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, come say hi. After service, would love to, to get to know you. Um, but we've been in a series. We kicked it off last week, uh, kicking off the new year, called Adulting, Ancient Wisdom for a Modern World. And if you're at a point where you're like, what does that what, what are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to give a little, I'm going to catch everyone up on speed as to what adulting is. Some of you know about it, like you ate dinner last night and you cooked it yourself and you hashtagged adulting. You will know exactly what we're talking about. Um, but this is what it kind of, the word adulting became popularized around 2008. It was as the millennial generation, my generation, hey uh, <laughs> typical millennial, we're the best. And Gen Z's are like, shut up. We're done hearing about you. Your day is done. Um, but millennial generation as a whole began doing uh, major life stages like getting married, starting a family, buying a house, taking the trash out um, at a much later age than previous generations. And so someone maybe at 28, they're maybe just starting to get into that. And there's a lot of reasons going into this. This isn't a bash on people, oh, adulting later. It's just like the housing. There's many, many reasons as to why this is beginning to happen. And some of the ways that it would be used, you know, it's been said $1,000 is like $10 once you start adulting. Anyone done that, right? Huh? You get a tax return. I mean, you're young. It was like $1,000. I can do anything. And then when you get a $1,000 tax return as an adult, I need 10 more. And, and that's about what it is. You know, adulting, realizing that paying off your loans is also a way of treating yourself. Hey, hey, novel thought. Um, today I showered, cleaned the house, and made dinner as a single man living alone. Again, if you're a mom with multiple kids, that's like next level adulting. But like if you're a single man living at home alone, and those were the three things that took it all out of you today, hashtag adulting. Um, you see, uh, it, it, we, can, we can laugh and kind of make light about it, but the reality is we might have some characteristics in the millennial generation of adulting, but the, the idea of adulting is nothing new. Maybe we have a, a, a phrase for it now or we can look at it, but as easy as it can be to look at a few characteristics of the millennial generation around adulting, it's not new. Advancing in age has never and will never be synonymous with growing up as an adult. Come on. Some of you, you know 60-year-olds that act like 14-year-olds, right? No one in this room, obviously. But like we know just because you're advancing in age does not mean you're advancing in maturity. See, the need to learn how to adult is actually something that goes back to the first century church and even before that. And Paul's addressing this to the church in Corinth. It was around a specific topic around how to handle things in church, but people there having these issues and things were going on and they had not grown up enough to learn how to deal with this issue. And it says here, we looked at this last week. We can throw it up there in 2 Corinthians. Or did I forget to make that sign? I might have forgotten. Oh, there we go. First Corinthians, just kidding, 1420 says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Some of you mom in this room, you said this this morning already. You were speaking scripture before you knew it. It says, in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So it's, it, it's interesting. In the Bible, if it's written, there was a need for it to be written, right? Like sometimes, like, you know, again, I'm not sure why I'm like cheering on mom say, but mom, no mom has ever come into the house when it was swept clean, all the toys put away, and be like, someone clean up in here, right? 
No, it's because nothing's been done that you need to address it so that there can be change. Paul's doing the same thing in the church, and the same is true for us today. There's certain areas where we need, like the church in Corinth, to grow up or to start adulting when it comes to our thinking. See, during the series, we're going to be looking at a couple uh, things in our life that's applicable to all of us and looking at the ancient wisdom of the letters and the scripture that we find in the Bible and what it can do to teach us. And this morning, we're, you're going to be so excited when you hear what we're talking about. There'll be cheers. You're going to be so glad that you woke up and came to church today because we're going to be talking about conflict. Yeah. There's a few of you that are a little bit, you know, you're like, yeah. No. Uh, but we're going and we're going to talk about conflict. But I think it's appropriate that we should pray before we start talking about conflict. So let's pray. Jesus, we just, um, we invite you to be with us as we look to your word this morning. God, around this area that touches all of our lives. God, we ask that we'd be able to put our own agendas, our emotions, hurt, baggage, whatever it is around this area of conflict. And Lord, we'd be able to look to you and we just invite your Holy Spirit to come and help us to handle this the way you would like us to as members of your kingdom. God, would the areas where we need to grow, would you help us? And the areas that were strong, would you continue to strengthen? God, would you enable us to grow into the body that you so desire us to be called the church? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Pray you be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look at the idea of how to handle conflict, I'd like to just bring a working understanding of what is conflict. You see, because there's not many things that I know in the world that can take a 30, 40-year-old professional person and turn them into a young teenager quicker than conflict, right? Like some of you, you can talk to a friend and they're using their limited knowledge and understanding of sign language while in traffic. They may only know one word, but they're using it. You're like, well, what happened? They lost their mind and well, what happened? What's their choice? It was their fault! Professional businessmen own businesswomen, own companies. They did it first. You're like, okay. When we're snapping back at anger and reverting to name calling in an argument with someone, and like, what happened? Well, she said it first. Okay. Adulting. See, I think it's safe to say that in the area of conflict, that every single person in this room can learn how to adult better. And for those thinking like, no, I don't need to, thank you for proving my point. Conflict, it's inevitable, and all of us need to grow. While there's opinions, there will be conflict. In your classrooms, with your parents, your children, your coworkers, your bosses, your neighbors, politics, world affairs, and just the person in front of you in traffic. All of us have conflict in our lives. And I think most of us in this room would associate conflict with something being negative. You know, maybe it's a memory of someone who hurt you or let you down or you lost something or you were cheated and there's emotional pain. Maybe there's physical pain around conflict. But I want to talk from this idea today and, and, and just stay with me in this because I know as soon as this next slide goes up on the screen, some of you are going to disagree and have different things. But I want to talk around this idea why it's important to learn how to deal with conflict because conflict is the essence of the kingdom of God. We'll get there. I'm not a heretic, I promise. There's Bible in here. But conflict is the essence of the kingdom of God. To do this, I need some help. I need you four girls. Come up on the stage really quick. And then I need Elena. Come up on the stage. You're going to help me with a word picture. All of them agreed to this beforehand. Not. 
You see, in, in uh, counseling and psychology, there's a word picture that they give for conflict. And I think it's really helpful, actually, when we learn to deal with conflict. They would say that conflict happens when two opposing forces intersect, right? So you four girls, come here. You're my one force, right? So I want you guys to walk shoulder and shoulder, like line up this way, and you are going to be going in one direction this way, all right? While everyone, all one force, handles the same way, just so take three steps for me. Three steps, one, two, three, no conflict. But conflict is when there's a separate force or a separate direction that comes. Now, now it's important, we're going somewhere with this, Elena is not conflict. So you take three steps this way. See, stop. We have two opposing forces, but there's not conflict. Conflict happens at the moment where the two intersect. So you guys walk until you hit each other. Boom, keep going, keep going. Conflict, right? No, no, okay, stay here. So conflict is not the four girls. Conflict is not Elena. Conflict is the issue that happened here where the two opinions, the two forces, the two objectives, the two forces, we said it again, I ran out of words, I gotta stop sometimes, but the two forces collide. Come on, give these girls a hand, thanks so much. So conflict is when two forces collide. So when you have two different opinions, the opposing opinion is not conflict. Husbands and wives, your, your spouse is not the conflict. Boss, that employee is not the conflict. Your coworker is not, they may be the source of sometimes of conflict, but it is not conflict. Because you can have two people meaning to go in the right direction, but there's a poor point where it intersects, where there's friction. And that is what conflict is. It's important to identify where and what conflict is because if you're not careful, you'll deal with the person rather than the problem. And you'll speak to the person rather than the problem. And you'll attack the person rather than the problem. The problem is not the force. The problem is where the two intersect. Another thing about conflict is conflict is unavoidable. So though I know there, there's normally two types of people, those who love to avoid conflict and those who love to make conflict, right? Both are wrong, all right? So we're, we're going to get in that situation. Now, now, I'll say this and I'll speak out of the other side of my mouth. Some conflict is avoidable. You don't have a license. It's, well, if you don't follow Jesus, I guess you can do what you'd like. But if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you no longer have a license to go and do what you want, speak what you want, treat people the way that you want. Oh, it's just there. That's just who I am. This is how God made me. Yeah, you were made a sinner as well, but you weren't allowed to stay there. It's called to grow up and adult in your faith to learn to follow who Jesus has called you to be. Not all conflict is unavoidable. Some is very avoidable. But while there is people, there will be conflict. I speak to myself. You can put me on the top of a mountain alone. I still have three conflicting opinions. Like, even inside of ourselves, I disagree with myself on a regular basis. Leaders that work with me, like, you said this. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Whose idea was that? Yours. I'm like, well, that was dumb. Why did I say that? That this is the reality. That when we look at conflict, conflict started in the Garden of Eden. Where God had a way of doing life. But then sin came in and ruined it. And then there was an opposing force. That came, and where there's intersects, there will be conflict. There'll be internal conflict. There'll be external conflict. That conflict is a part of life. Paul talks about this. It says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I can't do. No decision I make is free from this conflict. 
that we need to learn how to deal with conflict or it will deal with us. And next is not only conflict, but conflict is actually part of what the church is called to. And I said conflict is the essence of the kingdom of God, but conflict is actually what we're called to be a part of. Why is it so important? Because how you handle conflict will either usher in the presence of God or repel the presence of God. What are you talking about? Matthew 8, 19 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you agree together about anything they ask for according to my will, they will have it. My Father will heal them in heaven. John 17, 23 says, I in them and you in me, Jesus praying to the Father says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And I have loved them even as you have loved me. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And later in 1 Corinthians 6, we actually see that where there is unity, there is a commanded blessing. Where two or three are gathered, there too is my Spirit. See, God called his church to unity. He didn't call his church to peacekeepers. Just, oh, don't, don't ruffle anything. I can't, ooh, don't, don't ignore it. And I just got to make sure everything's okay. No, no, that, that we're going to talk a little bit about. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying addressing and dealing with conflict creates unity that only the Spirit of God can bring. And it actually creates a commanded blessing. We're going to look a lot about this, but it's important. If you're like, I don't like conflict, I'm sorry. If you follow Jesus, you're called to it. Called to deal with the conflict in your heart called to deal with the conflict in the church, and you're called to handle conflict in the world a different way than your natural force or tendency would have handled it. It's conflict. And I want to look at two types of conflict. Again, in, um, in, as you study in professional counseling, they got kind of words. There's intrapersonal conflict and interpersonal conflict. And I think it's really important because if you don't deal with the one, you'll do the other terribly. Intrapersonal is the conflict within your own self. It's your bitterness. It's your hurt. It's your unforgiveness. It's the things. It's when you go into a situation and you're talking about the color of the wall, but really what's going on is a conversation about me not being valued because I don't feel like anyone loves me and I have issues with rejection. So I'm going to project something and I'm going to be bold and a bully in arguments because if I don't get my way, I'm not worth it. If I'm not worth it, I'm going to be rejected. If I'm rejected, it's just going to remind me again, just like my dad, just like my mom, that no one loved me. Not to get too psychological with it, but... We need to deal with the conflict inside of our own heart because it will manifest itself in the conflict with other people if we don't. There's intra-conflict, intrapersonal. Then there's interpersonal conflict. This is just colliding with people around you. And that's, that's life, that's normal, that's personalities, that's a lot of different things. We're going to look at how do we handle both of those this morning. But before we do, we need to understand the goal of followers when it comes to conflict is conformity. And I know saying that anyone under 40 years old, just, I don't like that. I don't want want to conform. I don't want to be a sheep. But it's interesting. There's two types of conformity that we see. There's a negative type, and it says this. It says, the desire to avoid rejection or to gain approval. Groups often reject those who consistently deviate. When a person conforms to avoid rejection, the influence of others may be less pervasive into what they actually believe It produces temporary changes in behavior, but no change in belief. 
This is the high school student that goes to youth group and knows the right answer to say, but the truth of the gospel never got into their heart and changed their belief. They conformed to what was around them so that they didn't get rejected, but it never got to their heart. But there's another type of conformity that is actually the gospel, actually what we're called to. It actually has this picture of sanctification. It says a person may be influenced by others because their statements and actions provide or act as a guide to how to understand reality, the gospel. You used to do life one way, but I say to you this way. And the gospel comes in, and the information and the reality of what Jesus came to build in his kingdom now informs us of how to see and interact with our reality. It says, when others are used as a source of information, their influence becomes pervasive and is likely to change both a person's belief and their behavior. See, when it comes to conflict, a lot of times if there's two forces that they can't agree, there's normally a higher goal that they appeal to. It would be like this. If one person was standing here and one person was standing there and the goal was to get to Micah in the middle of the stage, from my worldview, I might think I got to go to these stairs over here, walk down so I can get to Micah. But someone right here might think, oh, I'm going to go through these stairs to get there. And there might be an intersect, again, a conflict. But as those who follow Jesus, they appeal to the higher goal at hand. What's the goal here? Well, I, I got to go this direction. No, I got to go this direction. No, no, no. Why? What's your goal? My goal is to get to Micah. So then you agree upon what is the best, most efficient way to get to Micah, and I will redirect my direction, my force, my thinking that would get me quickest to Micah. You understand what I'm saying? When there's conflict with two people and there's no authority and they seem to be equal, there needs to be something beyond themselves, above themselves, a higher standard, a higher call that both of them are committed to more than they are their own way. Say, so what is the best way to get to that? If a healthy marriage is that higher call, you will lay down your own will and your own rights and your feelings because the higher call is a healthy marriage, so you don't need to say what you were feeling in that moment because you are willing to redirect. It's with that business partner where the higher goal is this, hey, you know what, you do that instead of me. I think you're, I, I wanted to do that, but you're probably better at it. I'm going to bury my insecurity and deal with that and voice it and not try and hide it. It's a higher call. So to recap quickly what conflict is, it's unavoidable. It's part of what the church is called to. Handling it correctly is the secret to the church experiencing God's power. Handling it, handling it incorrectly brings division and actually repels God's power. There's internal conflict that will always affect external conflict. And the goal of followers is to bring conformity, or as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 5, to be peacemakers. We're called to preach the gospel in such a way that calls people not to their own opinions, but to a higher standard of the kingdom of God, that they would conform to what the kingdom's reality are, not your own reality. And yeah, to add to that, people are terrible. <laughs> like, if that wasn't hard enough, people suck. Myself first. And don't get offended. But like, people are messed, they make mistakes. They act out of insecurity. They say things they shouldn't have. Your parents did things they shouldn't have. Your kids always do things they shouldn't do. Even when they're like so cute and young. And 
They just don't sleep. But it's like there's situations where there are always these things. So how do we manage conflict? If the hope of the gospel and the hope of the church and walking in unity and power and the blessing of the Lord is kind of dependent, not only, but very dependent on how we deal with conflict, it's probably pretty important that we learn how to deal with conflict. I grew up in a house, and I asked my parents, they're okay with me sharing this, that until grade seven, they did not handle conflict correctly. And it almost ended in a divorce in my parents' life and in my life. And my mom, in this moment, she tells a story where my dad had had an affair on my mom, and it was so bad at the point where my mom was actually praying that my dad would have an affair so that she would have an excuse to leave him. So just to picture what our house was, family dinners were dodging the dishes, and you didn't really know why. You, as long as you weren't the target of the fight, you were fine, right? Like my brother knew he had to go comfort my dad. I had to go comfort my mom. We made a game out of it. I'm laughing about it now because I got healing, but it was jacked up. <laughs> but I remember my mom, she was praying. She, she tells me about this. She was Daniel. I was sitting there. She felt like God said to her, Carla, if you want, you can leave Dave. But if you do, your kids won't follow me. And in that moment, she drew attention to a higher reality of I need to raise my kids that love the Lord. And I stand here today because my mom was willing to redirect her path to a higher reality. We can joke about this, but this affects every area of our lives, your business deals, your decisions, your parenting, your internal conversations. So if we look at it, how do we manage conflict? What I want to do first are some of these things. We're kind of just going to throw some things out because luckily the Bible has a lot to say about conflict. The ancient wisdom of Scripture is so beautiful. You won't find it today in, in, in the tabloids, in someone's blog post, and this and that. So we're going to look to a little bit about it. But there are some types of conflict that are avoidable. And as you follow the gospel, we're going to look at it. If you become that right type of person, if you deal with the intrapersonal conflict, and you learn to produce the fruits of the Spirit, you will see a whole lot less interpersonal conflict. And so we're just going to look at some of those. And, and number one is we're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And I think there's a very interesting difference here because a peacekeeper is someone that when there's conflict, they hide. Or they just lay down, hey, you have your way, it's fine, I don't, I don't ever need to. But the problem is, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. You have the breath of God in you. Eternity has been placed in your heart. So some of the things that you are seeing, you're seeing because God put it there, and you need to bring your peace of what God's given you and to usher in the kingdom into that situation. When you choose to avoid conflict, you choose to avoid building the kingdom of God. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. That means where we go, we don't stir up strife, but if we see it, we are those that come to settle it, to help bring a resolution, to redirect attention to the higher call of the kingdom of God, to bring healing where it's called to be brought, that we are called to be peacemakers. Not conflict disturbers, we'll say it that way. <laughs> Not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. One of the ways to avoid conflict is to understand it is your job wherever you go to make peace. Which means you're going to have to lay down your own desires at times. You're going to have to trust that God keeps the books at times. We're called to be peacemakers. Number two is our heart is our responsibility. 
Again, we don't have time to get and read through all of them, but here's just some of the scriptures we're going to be looking at. Hebrews 12, 12, or 14 to 15 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Do you understand that no one can make you angry? You work with Pastor Craig, you get certain sayings that they never leave you. Like today is a Tuesday. They made me angry. I didn't know they had superpowers. How'd they make you do that? Right? Your heart is your responsibility. It is your job to not allow a root. There might be a seed from the enemy, but it is your job to manage and, and, and look at your heart to uproot the seeds of bitterness so that it might not take root. The Bible says that there's a seed in, in a thought that when it, gives, when it kind of takes root, it gives birth to sin. And when sin fully conceived, it brings to death. It might feel good to hold on to that seed, but you got to understand the fruit of that seed is the end of the call of God on your life. It's death in your life, that your heart is your responsibility. Imagine conflict if it was always addressed without bitterness. With clean hearts, pure hearts. Your heart is your responsibility. And, and with this, there's one that I want to bring a little bit of attention to that I think so often can be mistaught sometimes when it comes to conflict instead of Ephesians 4, 26, 25. And it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. We've used this, and I've had this done to me, and I've done this too, where like, if you accidentally upset someone, they call you at like 10 at night, be like, I can't let the sun go down in my anger, so I'm going to tell you how you tick me off, and bang, 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 good night. And you feel great, but you just unloaded all your crap on that person. Interesting that it doesn't say, don't let the sun go down on your conflict. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It is your responsibility. One of the best things you can do to your conflict is sleep on it. Allow calmer minds to persevere. But what it does mean is don't fall asleep with bitterness. Choose to forgive even if no one's asked for it. Because forgiveness is about you, not about them. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It doesn't mean you get to wake someone up late at night so you can feel better. And if you're in a conflict with your spouse and, and you know it's not going to get resolved, one of the best things you say, listen, I love you. I am committed to you, but I can't talk to you. I'm going to go to bed. I love you. We're okay, but we're going to deal with this in the morning. I am choosing my response. I had this with my mom the other day. She confronted me about something. She was right, but I really didn't like it. And I was like fighting, and then the Holy Spirit's like, shut up, she's right, she normally is. I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, mom, listen. She's like, no, no, I said, just listen. You're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I'm too angry to deal with right now. I love you, and I'll call you when I'm calm. And she goes, okay. <laughs> and I did it in the office, too, so I'm pretty sure Pastor Greg might have, it was awkward. But it was this situation where I was like, I was so convicted. I wasn't willing to deal with it because I was being immature, but I was committed to the person. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. That doesn't mean you have to deal with your conflict now. One of the best things for your marital spat might be to go to sleep. To confirm and affirm, I love you. We are committed to this. We're going to get through this. But I need some sleep. Number two is put others' interests above your own. Marcia, I think we're not number three now. This is a hard one. Philippians 2, 3 to 8 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We could stop there and go home. I give up. 
Like if you didn't need a verse, if you ever needed a verse, know that you need the Holy Spirit. Here it is. It says, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being the very, and if you're like, how can I, how can I prefer others, but they're wronging me, but they're doing, how could I? And, and in Philippians, he's like, oh yeah, tough guy. Do it as Christ did who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being in the, in the human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even on a cross. If you follow Jesus, you don't have a right to put your own interests first. Jesus made his life here on earth all about you. Now, if you follow Jesus, your life now is about other people in the kingdom of God. And hear me in this. This is not talking if you're in an abusive situation. That, oh, I just need to help prefer others. And like, there's certain things that if it's illicit, illegal, and immoral, you need to tell someone, you need to remove yourself. But I'm talking about the conflict that just kind of happens and it's around and it's just disturbing and it's, div- and it's divisive. And fourth is be slow to speak and quick to listen. You know, my father-in-law told me this, and I didn't get it the first time, which was super embarrassing uh, in class. He said, Daniel, you have two ears and one mouth. Pay attention to the ratio. And I responded, like, oh, that's so good, blah, 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 blah. He goes, Daniel, you have two ears, one mouth. Use the ratio. I was like, oh, oh. I really want to marry your daughter, so I'm going to drop it, but that hurt. <laughs> like, be slow to speak. Bring up any conflict you've had in your mind, and it's probably because someone spoke before they should have. How do you respond? And there's a lot of verses. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be slow to speak. Quick. Or sorry, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Have you ever flown off the handle at someone when you didn't have all the information and you really looked dumb afterwards? Make a habit of asking 10 questions before you give an answer if you want to deal with conflict. Because again, the enemy is not the other force. We have an intersection and love believes the best to believe that that person was doing their best to get to the kingdom of God. And maybe they weren't aware of how it intersected with me and my best to try and do this, but we're slow to speak, quick to listen. Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Proverbs 18, 13 says, to answer before listening, that is the folly and shame. And Proverbs 13, 10 says, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice and they listen. One of the best things that you can do when it comes to conflict is ask a few more questions. Be slow to speak. And that might mean not speaking for a while. That might mean saying, hey, I need to process this. Can you give me an hour? Or can you give me a day in this situation? And so these are some of the introspective, intrapersonal conflicts that we need to deal with, that we need to be aware of. Man, I gotta make sure my heart's right. If we came to conflict ready to listen, 
responsible for our own heart and our own responsibility, committed to the higher call of the kingdom of God and to unity to see the blessing. I'm telling you, conflict would be different. Those things that you get hung up on, you probably wouldn't get hung up on as much. But the reality is we cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we've been going through our 21 days of prayer and walking through. Anytime you have a conflict, you need to stop. Do a journaling. Sit down and say, God, I need your wisdom on this. I'm not smart enough to handle this. God, would you tell me what to say? I can't tell you the times where I had a hard conversation. I'm like, God, help me. You're like, here it is right here. I'm like, oh. Okay, so I ask a question. Hey, I was just praying at this, and like that was actually the issue. So often when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with the fruit of the issue. And the Holy Spirit's so, so gracious to just show us the root of the issue. So here's what you need to deal with. This is actually going to solve the problem, not just solve the conflict in this one moment. But there's other things the Bible talks about how to deal with the interpersonal conflict that we're going to look at the, between people. How do you handle this? And again, we talked about the conflict within us. Now, the Bible has a lot to talk about with the conflict within the church. It actually has pretty little to talk about with the conflict with the world. And we'll get to that. The response is basically like, suck it up. Uh, Jesus died. You're going to go through stuff too. But know that your name's written in heaven. Amen. So like, if you're wondering like, how do you deal with that, that's kind of... The teaching, again, there's more to that. We're going to get into it. But how do we deal with this? And number one is how do you deal, how do you handle a Christian who's in sin? You know, the Bible talks about this in Matthew, like this conflict where you see someone, a feather, brother, a sister, believer, and they're walking in a lifestyle, knowingly sinning, walking in. How do we handle this? Do we tweet about it? Do we Instagram it? Do we tell 17 people on our prayer list? Uh, do we, how, how do we handle these types of conflicts? And Matthew 18, chapter 15 to 20, or verse 15 to 20 says, if your brother or sister, again, Christians, believers, cause you to sin, go point it out, go point out their fault, or sorry, if their brother or sister sins, not against you, but you just notice this. Notice how you don't get to be a peacekeeper. You're now responsible to be a peacemaker because you're committed to them because we're one body, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. And when the arm is weak, the whole body is weak. And we need to be about the kingdom work. And so I need the arm to be functioning so the leg can function so that we can reach the world. It's kingdom work. We're peacemakers. We're committed to something beyond our own selves, beyond our own trajectories. So if you see a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Here it is. Just between the two of you. But, uh, but they won't listen to me. I know, I know they won't. I just know that. Just between the two of you. Because again, the end goal is not to correct their behavior. It's to win over a brother or sister so that they come to the kingdom of God. And love would say, I want to conceal this thing to the best of my ability to get your healing, but not to deal with the added drama of everyone talking about it. So I'm going to love you enough to not go to six other people to get their opinion and notice it doesn't say, if someone does something you don't agree with, no. If they're sinning, I, I just don't like it. Who cares? I, I don't agree with it. Is it sin? Is it causing others to sin? That's our justification to go and talk to someone. Just between the two of you. This is a follower's thing. Step one is to go to them with the heart of Christ and do it quietly. But it continues, because the reality is sometimes it doesn't work. Verse 16 says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along, one or two others, maximum two, 
The people that you go to shouldn't be people that are going to chime in your side of the story. should be people that are just as committed to the unity in this conflict as you should be. And if you can't get yourself to be there, that person that you don't want to go to because you think they'll side with them, that's probably the person that you should go to who will help bring unity to what we're called to. Go to one or two other people so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Second step, if the first one doesn't work, is to go to someone who both parties respect, see if it can be resolved. Again, with the purpose of wholeness in the situation, the sanctification, the redirection to what God has called us to, not being right. And thirdly, it says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Tell it to the church doesn't mean, Pastor, I need your microphone. Pastor Daniel kicked over his water bottle. He should be excommunicated. Uh, let me tell it to the whole church. He's go to leadership who are spiritually accountable and have the authority over that body of believers. Say, hey, here's just something that's going on. And because sin undealt with is going to bring division and it's for the health of the body. It's for the health of what God's called us. You guys just need to be aware of it and you submit it to that church body. And then the last says, if it don't, so the other translation is treat them as a, gen, or as a non-believer. And I think sometimes like, finally, now I can make that Facebook post. Now I can snuff them. But it says, no, how do we, basically, essentially, with the pagan, again, in the Bible terms, pagan, a tax collector, it's someone outside of the community of believers. How are you supposed to treat your neighbor? How are you supposed to treat those who don't believe what you believe? We're looking for a right to vindicate ourselves, but the gospel leaves no room for that. How are we supposed to treat those who don't believe? Luke 8, 27 to 28 says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse, persecute you and curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Truly, and, and why is this important? Here, again, we misuse this verse a lot at the end of Matthew. It says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. This isn't about grabbing a buddy to get your new car. This is the context of conflict. Listen. If you guys who are in conflict can appeal to a higher standard of the kingdom of God, and then you ask, say, God, would you help us to live out your kingdom? It says the Father will hear in heaven and is committed to unity like we ought to be committed to, to unity and to community. That this is the context of two agree on anything together in unity. Another one is, what, okay, well, Daniel, what if someone sins against me? Then can I hit them? Right? Like, then, like they, they, they nicked my car in the parking lot. I, she saw the door hit it. I know she did. And she didn't do any. She didn't leave a note. Like, how do, if someone sins against me, how do we handle that? This is Luke 17, 1 to 5. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. He goes on and says, but woe to who they come. It's better if you tie a cinder block around your neck, hop in the water. So you don't want to cause people to stumb. Pretty serious language about that. It continues on. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Verse 4 says, even if the sin against you, they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back and say, I repent, you must forgive them. 
To which the apostles respond, Jesus, increase our faith. <laughs> Again, conflict management, peacekeepers is a supernatural thing. This is not a counselor that can just deal with what's going on. No, it's, it's serious in this situation. And I want to look at rebuke them. What does that mean? Again, this is Ephesians 4. You deal with your own anger. You don't unload it on other people. And Ephesians 4, 12, uh, 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, ill intent. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ forgave you. Rebuke as we want. You're an idiot. I was going this way. You hit me. You are the problem. Rebuke says, hey, listen. I know you probably didn't mean to do this, but when you did this, it made me feel this way. At this interaction, this is how it affected me. And, and, and I, I've dealt with it. Like, I, I don't want to be bitter, but I just, this is something that needs to be brought up if it's happening again and again. And it says, hey, we're called to something higher. And we handle that. And then it says, forgive them. And the disciples like, help our faith. And Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. I don't want to. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity I don't want to I don't want to God I have my own right I have my right I don't want to and God says remember when we had a confrontation and the sin of your life put me on the cross and it was your wrongness that interacted with the kingdom of God and when I helped redirect you and forgave you so that you could have a new trajectory in your life, the same way I absorbed your sin, do to other people. Make voicing forgiveness a regular thing in your life. If you want to learn to deal with conflict, not just, oh, it's okay. Say, hey, I forgive you. There's power in those words. So what do you do if, someone, if you sin against someone? It's like, okay, if, I sin, if someone sins against me, I'll tell them, but then there's people, I, again, this was my kind of tendency. I just went about doing life, and if someone got offended, I'm like, ah, it's not my fault, it's their fault, it's just my personality, and it was immaturity, and I needed to learn to adult. If you sin against someone else, Matthew 25, 23 says, therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar first, Go be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. It seems that Jesus cares more about your conflict resolution than he does your worship. Sometimes we want to raise a hallelujah when you need to deal with a conflict. And worship might need to be the thing that gets you to be full of the spirit enough, not full of your flesh enough, so you can actually go deal with that conflict. You need to understand that Jesus cares about your conflict. And if there's a brother or sister in the room that you have conflict with, he says, I don't want to hear your worship. I want you to deal with the conflict because your conflict unresolved is bringing disunity. And there needs to be unity. There's a higher goal here. 
It's the kingdom of God. It's that the kingdom would come in Surrey as it is in heaven. And your disunity and your confrontation left undealt with is hindering that. So it's time that we redirect and we deal with our conflict. Either way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, if you sinned against someone, your responsibility. Someone sinned against you, your responsibility. You don't really get it out. See, making and voicing confession and asking for forgiveness is also something that should be regular in the lives of a believer. Hey, I blew it. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? You know how disarming that is to conflict? You're right, I was wrong. I should never have done that. I did not in any way intend for that to happen, but it did. So would you forgive me? I'm so sorry. Thank you for coming and talking to me. Well, all of a sudden, you're ready with, you've already had the argument 17 times and won it 18 of those 17 times in your head and you're ready to unload. You're like, uh, yeah, sure, cool. Wendy's after church? Great, awesome. Right? Like, how do we handle those types of conflicts? Lastly, if the band wants to come up, when someone sins intentionally against you, this seems to be one of the only times specifically where the Bible talks about how do you handle conflict with people outside of the church? And if you don't follow Jesus today, these are great ideas, but I do want to let you know that you do not have the strength in and of yourself to live these out. I don't, no one does, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit coming and living through you. It's very hard to live this way. But it says this in Romans chapter 12, Paul, he writes, bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil, or do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, with your neighbor, and that conflict with the fence. I wish I had a fence. But with the conflict with the fence. As long as it's up to you. As, as, as what, whatever is your ability and your responsibility. Live at peace with everyone. Not just type A's. Not just type B's. That's number one through eight. All through the Enneagram. Doesn't matter what personality. With everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Are you starting to get the picture that this type of conflict management is not possible outside the kingdom of God and outside of his empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Because we've used some light, easy examples, but the reality is some of you were hurt very deeply. That spouse that you're divorced from, wound goes deep. You want to, but you don't know if you have the own strength to do it. As much as it depends on you, Proverbs 15 one says, a gentle answer turns away rash, but harsh, or wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. See, when conflict can't be resolved with someone outside the church, we're actually called to take it. You might need to move yourself away from that, but say, God, I trust that you're seeing this. God didn't call you to an easy life. He called you, or a comfortable life. He called you to a called life. The same way Christ came. Who would, who would live this way? Who would 
always believe the best and just forgive no matter how many times. You need to understand that we are called to live this way because Christ first lived this way. That we had humanity going one direction. And we just celebrated the coming of Jesus that came. The essence of the kingdom of God is conflict because the essence of what Jesus came was to come and create a different force, a counter-earth force, a counter-cultural force that goes against sin humanity, that goes against sin nature. There's a conflict between it where we want our own way, but Christ says, no, if you want to follow me, you're called to die to yourself. And for those who have received Jesus, there's a moment where your life used to be going one direction. But when you accept Jesus, understanding that this direction leads to death. But God loved you so much that he sent his son in conflict to the sin nature inside of you. He who knew no sin became like those with sin. And then Jesus in conflict died on a cross paying for your conflict and rose again that afforded you the ability to say no to the direction you were on and yes to a new way of doing life. Who would live this way? Jesus lived this way selflessly. Lived in love. Not only did Jesus live this way, we're called to live this way. You know, the Bible says that we were saved. That's the point of redirection, of new life. It says one day when Jesus comes back for his church, the new heaven, new earth, we will be saved. Conflict happens as we are being saved. We need to understand that some people take a little bit longer to redirect certain parts of their life. You don't just go from your old self to a brand new self and it's all done. Yes, there's a brand new, absolutely, your spirit is reborn. But the intrapersonal, the inside emotions and jacked up nature of your heart and your soul take time to realign. And there's going to be moments where someone who is yet to realign some part of their soul, you need to see it and be a peacemaker and say, listen, you used to go this way, but as followers of Jesus, we're called to conform to the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to change my belief. I'm going to change my behavior. Not because I want to, not because it's comfortable, but because I'm called to a higher standard. I'm called to be a conduit of the kingdom of heaven. So yes, speak to me. Let me know what I need to do. Help me redirect that my life might point to something beyond myself. Church, we're called to handle conflict. And lastly, it's how the world will know we are his. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you with forgiveness, with love, with wholeness, with no agenda. So you must love one another. By this, your love, your, your commitment to a higher goal, to unity, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Have you ever thought that the greatest evangelistic effort of this church could be how we handle conflict? Like, what type of community would that look like? 
Could you imagine someone on the outside? What's your church like? We love each other. We prefer others in love. When we're wrong, we forgive. We're, we're gonna help each other when something's going wrong. If someone has an issue with me, they love me enough to just tell me. There's no gossip in the church, because I just go to this. And when I'm struggling, no one else is knowing about it. Someone comes beside me and helps redirect me. Even when I yelled at them, they blessed me. When I cursed them, they were for me. When I was living wrong, they didn't do it. They're great neighbors. They're incredible employees. They're the best spouses. Man, they walk in humility. They're not proud. They're always willing to help people. What type of community would that be? Family, the essence of the kingdom of God is conflict with the world. We're called to live a counter-cultural life. And as you do, there will be times where you intersect with someone else who's living a life that's different than you. And the opportunity that is found in conflict, not outside of it, is the opportunity to help someone else redirect their course to a higher standard. Family, we need to learn how to deal with conflict from whole hearts. I'll invite up Pastor Craig, and that's something we just felt we're supposed to deal with in this moment is because we'll never deal with the interpersonal until we deal with the interpersonal. Let's give a hand to Daniel. That's awesome. Incredible content. I'm not going to re-preach because that was incredible. It was just really, really good. The one part I did feel to even to address is um, there's more than just doing some good, good techniques, which these are. And they're, by God, incredible, incredibly wise. There's another part of it as well. Is there's a spiritual dimension to everything that we do. So I, I just want to do something really simple, but it'll be a little, might be a little bit brave for you. Uh, out of James, in the context of relational conflict, it says this, it says, that's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's, as Daniel alluded to, there's situations that are going on around us. There's situations that have been done to us. There's situations that have been done by us. He's given you some great direction on how to deal with it. But I want to invite heaven into these situations. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If, in, if you're in, the, in one of those situations, or maybe it's been longstanding, or maybe, uh, maybe it's just been something you haven't been able to see uh, how to bring it together doesn't mean that it's going to be your way, but to say, God, how would this look if my life and my relationships were touched by heaven in a powerful way? Some, some situations that might even seem a little bit beyond you right now. And you just want someone to agree with you in prayer. And with every head up and every eye open, who would be humble enough to just quickly stand to your feet in a moment? And then we're going to have a few people here at the front who are going to take your name. And over 2020, our prayer team are going to pray for you, just specifically in the area of relationship. Doesn't mean you're going to come up here and get a counseling session. We can, you can book that. You can go to Set Free Retreat, all that kind of stuff. It's just going to come up and say, my name is this. Your name, not the name of the person that you're, that you're having an issue with or anything like that. We don't want to any do that. Because I really feel like heaven wants to invade some relational areas. Submit to, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Not just resist the devil, not just pray a lot, but submit to God. I want to do it your way. I want to resist the devil. And that's where, where that power of agreement, of agreeing prayer can come. So if that's you, 
just quickly stand to your feet. Be brave. Be humble. You guys want to come on up here? And just quickly come and give your name. Just places. Give your name to these people on this side. Who else can help me over here? Rob, can you take some names on this side with your phone? Just come. Just give them your name. That's all you need to do. No counseling session. Go and come to the front. Give them your name. And we're going to, over 2020, you're going to be prayed for regularly. Your, your situation. Just the first name. That's all we need. Okay. Caleb, can you come and help take some names? It's all over the room. Invasion of heaven into situations and names. Okay. Thank you for your bravery right now, people. pray for you again and again and again. Heaven help us. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Things that are going on around you, things that are going around inside of you, things that have been done by you. Just come. No rush. Your roast, maybe if it's there, it'll burn. It's fine important things in this moment. Anyone else? Okay. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Then, and as after, as soon as I'm finished praying, just join with me. We're going to declare that, uh, he, that there is no rival that's going to win in this, this situation. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all around the room, Lord, this is such an area of our lives that touches us in a powerful way and affects our the way we get out of bed in the morning, affects the way we look forward or with dread or with anticipation. And, and in, in the strong name of Jesus, we just acknowledge our absolute... We're, we join with the apostles and say, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, that we could see things that are not as though they were, that we would see impossible situations change, that we'd see relational things be uh, reconciled or uh, come to agreement in some way, Lord. We, we just leave that peace to you, but we ask for the invasion of heaven. We ask for the invasion of heaven as we submit to you and do things your way. Thank you, Lord, that we are actively resisting the enemy in his way and that you will do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or even imagine. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, your way, your time. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Let's join together and sing this.